This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Presented by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Paul Sokolis with special guest Keith Blowers from Skipco Auto Auction. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another On All Cylinders Podcast. I am your host for today, Paul Sokolis, and today we've got a pretty good story to tell. Joining me on the phone is Keith Blowers from Skipco Auto Auction, and Keith's here to tell us about his car, or shall I say his father's car. It uh, caught our attention as it rolled up on the turntables in the Summit Racing retail store out here in Talmadge, Ohio. But before we get to the car itself, Keith, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, my name's Keith Blowers. My family owns Skipco Auto Auction, and we sell dealer trades and stuff like that. And when you say auto auctions, you're not talking about like those high-level, billion-dollar TV show-style auctions, right? The the majority of cars we deal with are, you know, just the traditional stuff you see on the road, you know, late model all the way down to, you know, the older stuff and cheaper stuff and whatnot. But we also have a federal marshal contract that we do seizures and, and stuff, and in that we get a lot of unique stuff, muscle cars, exotics. But regardless of what exactly rolls onto your auction block, is it fair to say that since you're surrounded by cars day in and day out that pretty much everyone there you work with is a gearhead and a car nut? Absolutely. We are we are all car guys here, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't imagine working there and at least not having a small passing interest in cars and hot rods, automobilia, stuff like that. So now that the folks know a bit about you, uh, let's start talking about the car itself. From what I understand, your father really liked one car in particular, a 61 Ventura. Am I right? Well, from my perspective, it was one of those things where it was something that kept coming up, you know, at holidays and, and stuff when my father and his brothers would be talking and whatnot. My father would always bring up the Pontiac, the stories about the Pontiac, how he bought it when he was, uh, I think, I don't know, he was in high school. He might have been just out of high school. And how it was, you know, his first really cool car, car he thought was really special and, and all that. And it just kept coming up and coming up. And I always thought, like, being even younger, and as I grew up, I had Mustangs and lifted trucks and stuff, but he kept bringing up the 61 Pontiac, and I was like, 61 Pontiac? Like, I don't even know what a 61 Pontiac might look like, to be honest with you. But that's kind of where the whole thing started, was it was just a car that he had when he was younger that he really liked. And, uh, you know, as the story goes, he got out of school, went to the Air Force. When he went to the Air Force, he went to Wichita, Kansas, and uh, he took it to Wichita, Kansas. And I guess uh, at that point, it uh, just had got bad. I think the frame broke or whatever, and it, it just had to be it had to be scrapped or, or whatever. And uh, he replaced it with a, I believe it was a 71 or something like that, Volkswagen Beetle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to stop you right there. So you're telling me your dad went from this big classic American cruiser and got into a Volkswagen Beetle? So obviously a big change in uh, vehicle style there, but that's what uh, that's kind of the, the story is it just was something that he talked about a lot when we were younger and with his brothers and his family. So continuing on a theme like father, like son, your dad strikes me as the kind of guy who really loves his cars. Yes, I would definitely say that. Now, for the benefit of the folks out there listening who may not be Pontiac aficionados, here's a bit of the backstory on the Ventura model. It showed up as its own name in 1960 and was essentially a variant of the full-size B-body Catalina that was already in production. But it was a standalone model for 1960, and again, even after GM downsized the B-body platform in 1961, it carried over. But in 1962, it was kind of reduced to a trim level on the Catalina, and that's largely because the Pontiac Grand Prix arrived, 
And the Ventura name itself had its swan song in the 70s when it was applied to the GM X-Body. You probably know it better as the Chevy Nova, but uh, Pontiac had its own Chevy Nova equivalent, and it was the Pontiac Ventura. Interesting footnote is that that's where the GTO had its last hurrah as well. The GTO was essentially a trim level on the Pontiac Ventura body. Uh, The last year for the GOAT was uh, 1974, I believe. And the last year for the Ventura body, you know, that Chevy Nova X-Body platform, uh, was 1977. But going back to Keith's full-size 61 Ventura, it was a pretty rare car, at least by GM standards. They didn't make a whole heck of a lot of them, certainly not to the scale of, like, the Impala. So, Keith, you had it in your mind to go find one of these cars and restore it. Did you have to go out and find the car, or did it find you? No, it definitely did not find me. Finding one is quite a process. They're not, uh, they're not, they didn't make a ton of them to begin with, but there's even less remaining. And a lot of the guys that are really into that kind of stuff, they don't part with them very easy. Let me put it that way. When I originally got the idea, I guess I had having owned Mustangs and, and just, you know, muscle cars, but nothing real rare. I thought, well, you know, I'll just hop on eBay and or Craigslist or whatever, and I can find one of these things and we'll be off to the races. You know, I hopefully I can find one in the right color. Well, that didn't exactly uh, pan out, obviously. But, you know, my father, he's a car guy, too. He's really into Corvettes. You know, the whole time I've been older or whatever, he has a number of Corvettes, and that's kind of his, his main thing. And uh, those are not cheap, but they're relatively easy to find and, and whatnot. So I didn't anticipate the search being as difficult as it was. And that really is a stumbling block for a lot of restorations. Like, just the step one, like finding the vehicle, finding the good specimen to begin with. Keith, can you give us a good idea of the timeline? Like, how long did this process take from start to finish? So I started looking in around January of 14. I started looking for this car, and the one guy here at work, and uh, I have another guy that we use to buy cars sometimes, he got involved, and we started looking for this car, and all we really all we really had to go on was an old picture that my mother was able to give me of my father and, and this Pontiac, and it's in black and white, and it really wasn't a whole lot to go on, but from talking to his brother, we knew it was black with maroon interior and, you know, what it was, basically. So we looked for a while in September of 15, September 2015, so already over a year into the search. Mike found a one in North Carolina that we knew needed completely restored. I mean, we knew it, it, it was rough, but it was the first one that was really viable that we had found in, you know, over a year. So we we bought it basically sight unseen and, and had it shipped up here. I have a feeling I should be bracing for the sad trombone sound effect right now. When we got it, took it to a couple guys that we were looking at having restore the thing, and it just it wasn't worth it. It just was too it was too far gone to really produce a nice quality product. So that very first car you bought was pretty much unusable for what you wanted to do. How do you regroup from something like that? No, so the first run at it kind of had to get put aside. That that didn't fly. So we had to go back to we had to go back to the search. But one of the uh, one of the guys that 
we were looking at having restore the car for us, Daryl Davidson. He's big in the GTO club and big into Pontiacs and stuff, which is how his name came up on our, our radar. And uh, he's like, well, that's not worth restoring, but, you know, I'll, I'll help you find one. So we uh, went back to the search. And then in March of 16, we actually found the one we ended up buying and, and restoring. Wow. So just a shade over two years. And that was just to find a vehicle that was usable enough, that it was in decent enough condition to begin the restoration. And Keith, from what I'm hearing, you just needed the car, like a 1961 Pontiac Ventura. You weren't looking for any special features or special drivetrain configurations, were you? No, not really. I mean, you know, his was black in, in Oxblood and it was, you know, his was an automatic. But again, there just wasn't a ton of them out there. We were watching the, the plastic car auctions. I think only in the in that two year period, I think only one sold at any of the classic car auctions that we were watching. And we had taken a swing at that one, but had come up empty. So it's just not something uh, that there was a ton of availability or a ton of ones we found that were, you know, viable. So at long last, at this point, you finally got your hands on the vehicle, the 1961 Pontiac Ventura that you're going to begin your restoration on. What did it look like when it rolled off the trailer? I mean, what were you getting into? Was it in rough shape? Did it need a lot of work like the initial Ventura you purchased? Uh, No, that's part of the thing is after the first go around, we wanted one that was in really good shape. You know, maybe not perfect, but a nice quality car to start with. So the second one that we actually ended up purchasing was out of Arizona. It was Scottsdale. And that's something really perhaps only our northern listeners will really appreciate, man. These cars up here in the north states really tend to rust out. Um, The moisture gets into them and they're just unfixable. That's particularly true in areas that see a lot of snow and where the highway crews use salt to, to help melt that snow. That corrosion just gets into the body and the frame and just uh, rips them to shreds. So it was nice, you know, the uh, the paint was a little, you know, whatever they call it, the clear coat, you know, peeled off from the leather out there, you know, but it wasn't rusty. It wasn't, you know, it didn't need a lot of real body work or, or anything extreme. So it, it was a nice car. And actually, it was a four-speed, which his wasn't, but I would consider that a, a more desirable car. It was definitely a lot less made. So we deviated from the plan a tad when it came to that, but the car was nice and we thought that would be a good, or I thought that would be a, a, a good fit for the project. So the car is here. It looks good. It's in decent, restorable condition. It's off the trailer, ready to rock. Tell folks how the restoration began when wrenches really started to turn. So obviously we, we bought it. Again, we bought it sight unseen, which always makes me nervous, but we had Clyde Car ship it here from Scottsdale. Um, it got here in March of 16. Daryl began the restoration in September of 16. So there, in the middle there, we were stashing the cars and the parts and stuff all over the place so my father wouldn't find them, which was mildly amusing at the time. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's dive into that. So you've got this car, and it's a B-body GM from the early 60s. It ain't a small car. I mean, this is a big hunk of Detroit steel. And I presume you have boxes upon boxes of of restoration and spare parts to to go into this project. How did you manage all that without your pop finding out? (laughs) Well, through this whole thing, uh, hiding these things was a a, a tad bit of a challenge. We had some storage space down the street from my house and my neighbor at the time, uh, her garage next door is where we hid it the majority of the time just to keep it out of his 
keep it out of his eye. You know, he was always over at my house a lot and whatnot, just randomly. So it wasn't, you know, he's all over the here at work. We have all these garages and all this space. But yeah, that's kind of a weird double edged sword. Like you've got all this storage space at your business, but your father's probably there a lot. No place where he wouldn't eventually find it. So uh, we had parts stored in storage units and my friend's garages and the the car was over next door at my neighbor's house. And that was kind of part of the uh, part of the whole thing was finding uh, vendors and finding places where he wouldn't know or, or, you know, get clued in on it, you know. But the big question on everyone's mind is, did all these clandestine efforts work? Did uh, your father ever find out, or did he ever suspect anything was, say, peculiar? Not, not to my, not to my knowledge, not to my knowledge. And he, he was, he, he seemed genuinely surprised. So I don't really, I, I, I don't believe so. It's funny. At one point, we had a big barn at my old house, and we had bought the uh, the wheels on those Pontiacs. They're eight lugs, so the the middle of the wheels actually the the drum, the brake drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kelsey Hayes wheels, the eight lugs. Those were super slick. They were like a performance brake option. They were supposed to offer better brake cooling to the drum, and those were available directly from Pontiac. Like that was a regular factory option on that model. It is super cool that you were able to source a set of those. So the yeah, the middles are actually the drum, and then the the wheel with the tires mounted to like just a circular rim that bolts onto the drum. So those had to be then it had had some aftermarket wheels on it when we bought it, and those had to be sourced. And I had them on a pallet in the back of my garage and covered with a tarp and uh, and stuff. And I'm like, don't I mean he's never going to go all the way in the back of this garage and find these things. And uh, one day he's like, hey, uh, I saw the raccoons were back in your garage. He's like, I took a trap and set it up in the back of the garage. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He literally set it on top of the pallet, but it was covered in a tarp. I don't think he ever, like, even paid attention to what was in it. But it's like, can't win sometimes. But I don't think he ever caught on. Okay, so we're about ready to get into, like, the literal nuts and bolts of the Ventura's restoration. But before we do, let's take 60 seconds, and I promise you can set your watch 60 seconds, to talk about our sponsor, Summit Racing. Like, I know what you're thinking. Summit Racing's got the reputation for being the hot rodders, the folks that sell performance parts that will jigsaw a hood to put a blower in there. But, you know, really, that's only part of their business because Summit Racing's got quite a bit of top-quality restoration parts for you folks wanting to get uh, your classic cruiser back to showroom condition. So if you're starting a restoration like uh, Keith Blowers did with this uh, Ventura, check out summitracing.com restoration and you'll find all sorts of cool restoration parts. Uh, We're talking anything from wheels to sheet metal, interior trim, gauges, emblems, what have you. Heck, they even have reproduction tires, like if you wanted to run the original Firestone white ovals your car came with, or um, BFG Silvertowns, you can find them there too. Again, it's summitracing.com slash restoration. And in a lot of cases, these parts will be factory authorized, like I've got the official stamp of approval from like GM or Mopar to look and appear and function exactly the way it did from the factory. SummitRacing.com slash restoration, a proud sponsor of the On All Cylinders podcast. All right, so let's get back to this Ventura. Keith, when you uh, started your build, were you looking to make it like a nut and bolt restoration, or was it going to be modified in any way to make it a better driver? Tell us about it. My father is very much a purist, so he, he likes things exactly like they rolled off the showroom floor. So, you know, it was basically a stock restoration project. We had already, the car when we bought it was red on maroon. 
So it had the right interior, but the exterior color was different. That's the only place we deviated from stock is his was black, so we wanted this car to be black. So when we, we redid it, we redid it with black in the Oxblood interior and whatnot, which is a, a very nice color combination anyway. Keith, give us a time check. Um, you started this whole journey in the winter of 2014, if I recall. Where are we at now in terms of timetables? So he started in 16, restoring it, took it down, did, did, a, full, did a full restoration job. The goal, the goal had been from the very beginning, even when I started back in January of 14, was to uh, give it to him as a Father's Day gift. So our goal was to give it to him on Father's Day, so it ended up being Father's Day of 17, <laughs> by the time the thing was done. Still, though, three years isn't too bad. Um, we've heard certainly stories of restorations taking decades, so all in all, that's a pretty impressive achievement. Now, you mentioned that it was going to happen on Father's Day, but what venue did you select to do, like, the official formal unveiling and presentation? So, we had registered it to be in the Stan Hewitt car show at Stan Hewitt Gardens. Ah, I was hoping you'd say Stan Hewitt. Um, let me take a second and fill the listeners in who may not be familiar with the Akron, Ohio area, which I'm going to assume is a lot of folks. Stan Hewitt Gardens is an estate that was originally built by one of the founders of the Goodyear Tire Company, so it's a pretty big deal. It's gorgeous. The grounds are beautiful. They host weddings there. It's that kind of joint. Very swanky. Um, And they do an annual Father's Day car show every year. Um, I think 2020 was canceled due to obvious pandemic-related reasons, but the Father's Day car show typically brings in a spectacular array of cars. We're talking anything from pre-war era classics to European, Italian exotics, vintage American muscle, 50s era cruisers. It's a top tier show and the perfect venue to do a presentation of this magnitude. And uh, Daryl that did the restoration, everything helped me, you know, get it over there, get it set up and everything. And then the last few years before that, me and my father would go to that car show on Father's Day just for something to you know, to do, to look around it and whatever. So we had put it there in the show and then uh, I met him out there and, you know, we were walking the show and he said, oh my gosh, he's like, there it is. He's like, that's the same car I used to own. And he, you know, did the walk around and when he got to the trunk, we had a sign made, you know, the sign that's up at Summit Racing now and it says the owner, Robert Blowers or whatever. So so what happened next? Did his head explode? He was a little stunned and then he looked at me and then my mother and my sister and stuff were a hundred yards away, you know, and it was it was nice. I think he was really shocked pleasantly. Yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that the word pleasantly might be a bit of an understatement. But then again, no one's ever given me a restored nineteen sixty one Pontiac Ventura before, so I can't say with any certainty. So how's the Pontiac doing now since it's been officially bestowed upon your father? It it lives a very good life in his uh, uh, climate-controlled garage, but he uh, he's taken it to a lot of shows. He's taken it to uh, the Pontiac Society or, or whatever it is, uh, has you know yearly meets all over the country. He's taken it there a couple times and won top prizes there, and he's had it at Pontiac Nationals at Norwalk the last 
three years or whatever, four years or however long it's been. And he's won uh, class up there several times, which I think what got uh, what maybe got Summit Racing's eye, you know, originally. Yeah, you got to watch out. Those Summit Racing folks are always on the lookout for new cars to feature, either on their catalog covers or on the turntables in the retail stores. And that's true whether you live in Arlington, Texas, McDonough, Georgia, Sparks, Nevada, or Talmadge, Ohio. But, you know, he's he's had it all over. He's had, a, had all kinds of shows, and, you know, I think he's really, he's really enjoyed it. Hey, Keith, for those gearheads that really like to nerd out on the data, what can you tell us about the actual car, the, the 61 Ventura that you restored? You know, maybe you can't rattle off the, the compression ratio or cam duration off the top of your head, but uh, what can you tell us about the car in general? I don't know if I have the, the, the exact engine specs and, and, and whatnot handy, but it's uh, obviously a 61 Pontiac Ventura Sport Coupe, four-speed tri-power. It's got the it's got the A-code engine, which, you know, that's where I'm kind of a little fuzzy on what the specifics are, what that uh, brings to the table, but it's the higher performance engine for that car. Well, Keith, that's why we have Wikipedia, my friend. You had two 389s you could get with tri-power. The lower tier was about 318 horsepower, but the hot version of the 389 tri-power put out around 348 horsepower. And let's not confuse that with the soon-to-be-legendary 421 cubic inch Super Duty motor, which technically was a dealer-installed option very late in 1961, before becoming an official factory Super Duty option in 1962. But, uh, we digress. Keith, do you know what your father plans to do with the car? Um, you know, that's something we probably have to ask him. You know, I don't know what his plans are. I mean, I know his plans were to go to uh, Pontiac shows this year. The summer, you know, he was going to take it to all the, the shows, but obviously most of those, all of those got canceled. That didn't really uh, happen this year, but I think he fully intends to uh, fire that back up this coming year and take it around. He still works here at the business and whatnot, but he's, his schedule's a lot more uh, free than it used to be. So I think he intends to, uh, you know, enjoy it and take it around and tell everybody his story and whatnot. By that, you mean tell everybody he's got the awesomest family in the world, I assume, right? Uh, Keith, let me ask you this. Do you ever get a chance to take it out now that it's finished? No. And you know, I could, I, I just haven't, to be honest with you. He drives it a reasonable amount. And like I said, I think he, he enjoys it and whatnot, but no, I, I've driven it a few times, but, uh, but not many. And that about wraps it up for another edition of the On All Cylinders podcast presented by Summit Racing. We've been listening to Keith Blowers explain why he is the best son on the planet. All it took was finding a 1961 Pontiac Ventura and then having it meticulously restored without his father finding out and then presenting it to him on Father's Day. If that doesn't cement you as the world's best son, I don't know what does. And on a personal note, if my father is listening... I would ask you kindly to please temper your expectations while I may not be able to deliver an early 60s Pontiac muscle car. Maybe you can cross your fingers uh, for a mid-90s Toyota. And if you wanted to check out the Aventura for yourself, we'll post some pictures at onallcylinders.com. Just go there, onallcylinders.com, type in Pontiac Ventura into the search bar, and it'll be one of the top stories that pops up after that. And that'll do it, Keith. Great talking to you. What an awesome story, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. No problem. Anytime. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Presented by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.